You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is about adrenaline. It turns out it has short-term superpowers. Adrenaline, also known as epinephrine, is a neurotransmitter. It's made mostly by your adrenal glands, and your body secretes it in a moment of crisis, and it gets you ready to meet an emergency. Oh, say a tiger eating you, your boss yelling at you someone cutting you off in traffic, or whatever you perceive as an emergency, even if it's just something that really wasn't an emergency. And it makes your heart beat faster, and it increases blood flow to your muscles, and it helps you use oxygen more efficiently. And it turns on your nervous system in interesting ways that causes the neurons in your brain to fire two to three times faster. Now, that could be interesting, because in a study, mice and rats who were exposed to a maze uh, in a previous day could navigate the maze with more correct choices when they were injected with adrenaline. Does that mean adrenaline is a form of a uh, nootropic or a smart drug? Maybe sorta. Because adrenaline does act like a chemical messenger in your brain to make you more alert during those stressful times. It can distract your brain from sending pain signals and redirect your attention on your immediate task, like that running away from a tiger thing even if you stub your toe. It can stop an allergic reaction by increasing blood pressure and relaxing muscles in your airway so you can actually breathe. And you get something called hysterical strength from certain amounts of adrenaline that allows, say, mothers to lift cars off their injured children. And it even gives you better eyesight by cueing muscles of your iris to contract so that your pupils can expand. And no, you don't have to eat carrots to do that or even take eye armor. Pretty interesting that adrenaline could do this. And yes, you may have guessed that we are going to be talking about adrenaline today on the show. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Now, today's guest has spent a very long time looking at adrenaline and other, uh, other neurotransmitters and other parts of aging bioidentical hormones. Board-certified internal medicine specialist with about 
four decades of experience working directly with patients, everything from medical groups to elder care to health research. And he runs something called the Platt Wellness Center in Rancho Mirage, where he's looking at the root causes of illness. And this whole show is going to be about one of his, uh, the things he studied in his life's work. I'm talking about uh, Dr. Michael Platt, by the way. But uh, in his 40 years of practice, he's looked at what happens when we get excess adrenaline. And what he's come up with here, which is also in the literature, of course, is that things like fibromyalgia, autism, ADHD, bipolar disorder, depression, anger, weight gain, and addictions are a part of excess adrenaline and how another hormone that's typically used in hormone replacement therapy for women called progesterone can help to fix the problem. So if you're listening to the show going, what the heck, here's the deal. If you're alive and you have social media, you probably have excess adrenaline or maybe even not enough adrenaline because you've burned <laughs> yourself out. Listen to the show. It is going to describe you or someone that you know. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right. Did you get interested in new, in uh, in adrenaline just because you're a native New Yorker and New Yorkers are always angry? Is, is that how it works? <clears throat> That's a good point, but... Um... <laughs> I've been doing hormones for a long time, and um, and one of the advantages that I had is that when I saw patients, I sat down and talked to them for about two hours. And when you sit down and talk to a patient, you you learn a lot. And I started seeing a certain pattern, um, and so I started putting you know things together, and it came up with excess adrenaline as uh, the underlying cause of a lot of conditions that, and, and some of them are felt to be incurable. Um, why, why isn't everyone talking about this? You know, that's an excellent question. I don't really have the answer for you, but, um, you know, part of, part of the problem, if you allow me to vent a little bit, sure. uh, is that doctors are not trained to treat the cause of illness. You know, they're, they're basically trained to give out band-aids to treat the cause of illness. And, um, and they actually get very little training in hormones and, you know, so part of this is probably related to, you know, our friends, the drug companies uh, who control what doctors learn in medical school. They control the FDA, they control the medical boards, they control medicine. And and we and if you don't mind my saying so, and I hope they're not part of your sponsors, but, you, you know, for the most part, drug companies have no interest in people being healthy. <laughs> no, there's there's no drug company sponsoring Bulletproof Radio. I don't think you have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, it just. Yeah. So. um so it, it's, you know, I've written a book, as you may know, called Adrenaline Dominance. Yeah. And as far as I know, it's the only book that's ever been written that that talks about adrenaline and the clinical consequences and the conditions related to it and why it happens and, and how to fix it. And so doctors, it, it's a whole concept that has not been taught to doctors. What, one of the, the things that, that brings me great joy <laughs> is just finding these things that, that are massive problems that we just didn't see uh, for whatever reason and then shining a little bit of light on them because it changes sometimes millions of people's lives. Uh, toxic mold is an example there. In fact, there's a tie with adrenaline there where toxic mold will cause an adrenal response and people who are sensitive to it. You walk into a moldy building, you get a surge of adrenaline as your body's like, what do I do with all this? Uh, but people don't know about that uh, uh, generally, so they just wonder, I don't know, I have a headache and I don't feel good and all these weird problems happen. And I know yeah. the in I know the incidence of that, but 
how big of a deal is adrenaline dominance? I mean, is this 5% of the population? Is it 50% of the population? Well, you know, if you look at the number of people with ADHD, and we, <laughs> it's kind of growing. Yeah. Um, and, and if you, <clears throat> and then, you know, you mentioned fibromyalgia, there, there are 10 million people in this country with fibromyalgia. They've all been told that there's no cure for it. In fact, doctors don't even know what causes the pain of fibromyalgia, but it's, it's an easy condition to actually eliminate. Uh, you know, once you treat the cause of fibromyalgia, um, you can actually get rid of ADHD by treating the cause of ADHD. And, and you're saying it's always too much adrenaline that's causing fibromyalgia and uh, uh, and these other conditions? Like that's is it I, some I, of the time? Always? Like what's? Well, well, I'd say let you know. I, I don't want to say 100, percent but certainly well into the 90s. Interesting. All right, so. Given that we've got a ton of people listening with ADHD, in fact, the majority of entrepreneurs seem to have ADHD. In fact, it might make you a better entrepreneur. Uh, and all of the people seeking a flow state through extreme sports, uh, generally ADHD correlates very highly with that. Um, what, uh, uh, what is adrenaline dominance? Can of walk me through it, but say as if I was new to the idea, listening to the show and saying, how would I know if it's me or my spouse or my kids or whatever else? All your listeners have heard of adrenaline. Yeah. Uh, and basically, they know it is what they call the fight or flight hormone. Um, but and, and it's released in times of danger or whatever. But the fact is, is that uh, danger rarely occurs. And if it does occur, it, it's short lived. Um, what people don't understand is that the primary reason why the body releases adrenaline is to provide fuel to the brain. You know, the brain per weight uses more sugar than any other part of the body. And, you know, when you take sugar away from the brain, they, they call that hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, and, and people get sleepy. And um, it, especially between three and four when insulin peaks, and a lot of people get sleepy when they're driving. In fact, some people fall asleep when they're driving, go off the road, hit a tree and kill themselves. So, you can see from a survival standpoint, the body always wants to make sure the brain has enough fuel. So the thing about adrenaline, so, so it's normal, you know, for people to release adrenaline at certain times, but the, um, but I use the term adrenaline dominance to indicate where those people have excess amounts of adrenaline, uh, to the point that it actually has clinical consequences. One of the things that I, I wrote about in my a blog post on sleep hacking, uh, people tend to wake up or people who tend to wake up at four or five in the morning and can't go back to sleep, they oftentimes have had a blood sugar crash. And then the way the body responds to a crash in blood sugar is adrenaline and cortisol because those are the fastest ways to raise blood sugar back up. And then, right. of course, you can go back to sleep after an adrenaline surge. Is that the source of this excess adrenaline or is it that these are traumatized, fearful people or is it some environmental thing or like why, why this change in our population or has this always been there throughout history? Well, first of all, um, the primary source of adrenaline is in, in relationship to low sugars in the brain. Um, adrenaline actually peaks at 2.30 in the morning. Uh, that's the, the classic time that it's released and, uh, and because that's the time that the brain basically runs out of fuel. The, um, you know, all this advice about not eating anything before going to sleep, you know, is actually incorrect. Um, you, you know, you know, part of the treatment and we're going to we'll be getting into treatment is to eat something before going to sleep. Uh, so the brain has fuel. So the body doesn't have to put out adrenaline to provide it. 
you know, people that have insomnia, you know, people that have, you know, their brains race or people have trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, people that grind their teeth at night, people that keep their jaw clenched, restless leg syndrome, people that get up at night to urinate, all related to excess adrenaline. And, um, and <laughs> you mentioned, uh, you know, adrenaline does create stress, you know, you know, almost all stress is related to increased adrenaline, and the body does respond to stress by putting out cortisol. And you're right; these two hormones come out at night, and they're both raising sugar levels. You know, to to um, you know, the adrenaline raises sugar levels for the brain, and cortisol uh, raises sugar levels to deal with the stress. And it's probably the number one cause of weight gain, and nobody ever talks about this. Um, you know, people diet and exercise during the day, but they put on fat during the weight because any excess sugar that the body is not burned up is stored as fat in the fat cell. So if we have low sugar at night, we're going to have adrenaline. If we have high sugar at night, we're going to get fat. Right. That sounds like blood sugar regulation might be the key here. Well, it is the key to it. You're absolutely <laughs> right. It's, it's why, you know, that, that's adrenaline. Uh, that's its main function. What I found worked... And so for 10 years, I've slept with sleep monitors on my head and various other parts of my body and, and really dug in on the physiology of this. There's a group of people who, if they have a tablespoon or maybe a teaspoon or two of raw honey, which tends to raise liver glycogen, if they do that before bed, um, they don't wake up in the middle of the night and they sleep better. And then there's another group of people who have brain octane uh, or even just a little bit of coconut oil, which isn't quite as effective, but it raises ketones. And having slightly higher ketones, which is an alternate source of energy, more for the neurons versus the glial cells, then, then they sleep better. And there's a different group of people that may overlap those two who have a small amount of protein that doesn't raise insulin too much, like a collagen protein. And between experimenting with those three buckets, people who have a hard time going to sleep or staying asleep oftentimes... Uh, just by changing a small snack, we're talking you know, less than 100 calories, totally changes things. But the circadian researchers like Dr. Sachin Panda say don't eat anything after dark, and, and that seems to work best for people who are metabolically healthy. How the heck do you unravel this after 40 years of clinical practice? <laughs> what, do you, what do you see? Because I'm confused. You, you, I know it works for me, and I know it works for different buckets, but I don't know how to put someone in a bucket. I take a very logical approach to to getting people better. And um, and, and if, and, and I know that the brain actually can use a fuel within three hours. Uh, so that's why people that have problems with adrenaline, they have to eat throughout the day. The problem is, you know, adrenaline actually takes away the appetite. In, in fact, it can cause nausea and vomiting. Um, and so a lot of people with excess adrenaline don't eat breakfast because they don't have an appetite. So, um, that would be almost all intermittent fasters now, right? Cause I mean, this is something I, I do. I, I skip breakfast. Um, well, yeah, I don't recommend that because you have to remember <laughs> breakfast is the first meal that somebody's had since the day before. And, and if they skip breakfast, they're going to be living on adrenaline. Yeah. So I, I don't recommend intermittent fasting, even though for some people they can get away with it. You know, what it comes down to is whatever works, but people with excess adrenaline should not be doing intermittent fasting. I actually, when I was much younger, uh, was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue and, you know, all these other things. Um, and I discovered uh, through just the process of elimination and talking with a lot of people, there were things in my environment that were affecting my metabolism. I fixed my metabolism. I don't have those problems anymore. And I intermittent fast most mornings. 
does that mean I, I fixed a high adre- adrenaline problem? Uh, or well, does that mean, it means something else? I'm, I'm just putting myself in the mindset of someone listening to this going, but I've been intermittent fasting all this time. Should I stop? But I feel better. Like what, what's going on? Well, I, I hear that, but you know, maybe you've had access to some MCT oil somewhere along the line. <laughs> sure. I made it popular. <laughs> uh, um, you know, MCT oil, um, is part of getting people better because, as you know, it converts into ketones. And ketones are one of the two fuels that the brain uses. Oh, I love this. All right. How long have you known this? For quite a while, actually. Okay. Thank you for saying that. MCT oils were like a 1980s bodybuilding thing. Uh, And they were sort of largely forgotten. And uh, now they're popular. And Bulletproof Coffee, I I think, did that. Um, what I, I guess this goes back to my original question, uh, Michael, the knowledge about excess adrenaline, the knowledge that you had about MCT oils going back a long time, uh, it just, you didn't hear about it at the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. You didn't hear about it in medical school. You didn't hear about it in dietitian school. Um, how did you hear about it? Like, like, for people listening who want to hear about things ahead of time the way you did, how did you do that? You, you know, I do, I do a lot of reading and whatever. And, and um, so somewhere down the line, and I don't remember where I, uh, I read that the two fuels the brain uses are glucose and ketones. And, um, and, and, and I understood that the reason why the body puts out all this adrenaline is, is just to raise sugar levels or, or fuel for the brain. So, um, so because of my interest in, in ketones, you know, basically, you know, MCT oil and, and, and coconut oil, which is, which can convert into MCT oil, um, there's not a whole lot of other choices. You know, people can go on a ketogenic diet, um, but, you know, again, that's, that's a tough diet for a lot of people, you know, to, and, and it cuts no slack. Well, and also um, one thing that happens on unending long-term keto is you're going to get low insulin levels over time. And low insulin levels are correlated with higher all-cause mortality than high insulin levels. Uh, so it, it seems like an unending keto diet is not a good way to keep your adrenal glands healthy. You even get insulin resistance from it. Well, but remember, part of the fuel that, that the brain uses uh, is glucose. Yeah. And so, so that's carbohydrates. And, and actually, the best source of glucose comes from, comes from vegetables. And... Um, which are not a big part of a ketogenic diet, but but they are a good thing to add for people that have trouble with adrenaline. Yeah, the whole the whole coconut oil MCT thing it is is a little bit of a, a controversy too. The anti aging group uh, that I've that I ran for a long time uh, in Silicon Valley uh, first started talking about this in the late '90s and, and started doing a lot of work with coconut oil and all. But it wasn't until about three years ago that Dr. Cunane at UC San Diego came out with really definitive research that said, hey, coconut oil raises ketones as much as not eating for eight hours. MCT oils, the broad category of all four kinds of MCT oils, essentially doubles that. And then the one MCT oil, uh, caprylic acid or C8, the one that's in brain octane oil, that one raises ketones four times more than uh, than coconut oil or then just sleeping for eight hours. Uh, and I certainly feel different when I can raise my ketones up like that, but I'm not on a zero carb diet. I'm on a very high vegetable diet, something that wouldn't be possible. It wouldn't be a ketogenic diet if it wasn't for the addition of, of brain octane. 
do you have a number for how many ketones someone needs to deal with the adrenaline problem? If, if you were to do a, a ketone measurement, is it 0.3, 1, 2, 3? Because the numbers are all over the place. I, you know, I, it's a good question. I don't have a clue. Would I, I go by tablespoons. Okay. And, uh, so usually I, I recommend, at least in the beginning, that people have uh, at least three tablespoons of MCT oil. Not or, all at or, once, or, I would hope. No, no, throughout the day. Okay, Remember the brain, no, the, the brain uses a fuel very quickly. So that's why throughout the day you have to continue to, to provide fuel. Um, but, you know, what's interesting, um, if I could digress just a yeah. little bit, um, is that people really are not aware of, of, the, uh, of, of how adrenaline affects lives. You know, it, start, it starts right after childbirth. You, you know, babies that have colic, that's adrenaline. And, and what's interesting, you know, there's a hormone uh, called progesterone that actually blocks adrenaline and rubbing progesterone cream on the abdomen of, uh, of a baby with colic, the, uh, it goes away in about three minutes. Uh, and then later on in life, the terrible twos, which are also related to excess adrenaline and, and bedwetting in children is only related to excess adrenaline. And you only see that in creative type children because creative people had the most adrenaline. We'll talk about that. But whoa, uh, but, aren't you messing but, with the kids' hormones by giving them progesterone cream? I mean, aren't like, we're talking about formation of sexual characteristics is is done by well, estrogen act, and testosterone. Progesterone can get in the way of that. Well, progesterone is not a sex hormone. But not it a interacts sex pretty closely with estrogen. Uh, well, it well actually it blocks estrogen. It's it's an anti-estrogen hormone. Right. But 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 keep in keep in mind that the fetus, when when the fetus is in the womb, gets exposed to incredibly high levels of progesterone. Yes. And and the so and, and the fetus has all the receptor sites for progesterone. But when it, as soon as it's delivered, um, you know all of a sudden there's that sudden drop in progesterone, and so if the baby inherited uh, a tendency toward excess adrenaline from the mother then that's where the colic comes from. It's the same thing that happens with postpartum depression. It always relates to excess adrenaline um, and, and that drop in progesterone. And so what's interesting is that postpartum depression can be eliminated with, with progesterone just like colic can be re, re, you know, eliminated. The thing about adrenaline um, and, and, and depression is that you know, there are two types of depression. You know, there's this, what's called a reactive depression where somebody dies or loses a job and, you know, and so they react to that. But probably the most common type of depression is endogenous where it comes from within people are depressed, they don't know why they're depressed. And the most common cause of this is internalization of anger. And adrenaline is an anger hormone. You know, that's where road rage comes from. And um, so, you know, other, other things, you know, that, that people should be aware of um, is, is, you know, first of all, how easy it is, you know, to fix excess adrenaline. But there are so many other conditions, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, you know, a, adrenaline is a survival hormone and, and it cuts off blood supply to areas of the body that are not needed for survival. That includes the intestines. And that's why people get cold hands and cold feet. It's not a low thyroid, it's adrenaline. And, you know, people that with excess adrenaline, they always carry tension in the back of their neck. And this can cut off blood supply to the ears, and that's where tinnitus comes from. And, ten, and tinnitus can be eliminated just by putting progesterone cream on the back of the neck. And, and also, you know, eating correctly, which includes the MCT oil and, and, and vegetables. You know, I'm trying to make people aware that all these little problems in life are, are fixable. All right, so we've got 
ADHD, addiction, fibromyalgia, interstitial cystitis, uh, teeth grinding, neck tension, anxiety, cold hands and feet, insomnia, even uh, tinnitus. And like each yes. of these, I know other causes and other things that will get rid of them, almost all of them. Well, uh, none, 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 none will eliminate tinnitus as quickly as putting progesterone in the back of the neck. I mean, that we're here we're talking about five, six minutes. And this works for almost everyone, half of people with tinnitus? I, I would say more than half. I'd say probably wow. 95%. Uh, Very interesting. Um, how do we know that adrenaline is not a symptom, that it's a cause? <laughs> okay. Um, no, I, I hear what you're saying, but um, no, I, I think it's a cause. I, I don't see it as being a symptom. Here's why I'm asking. Uh, a fascinating interview in the first 100 interviews on Bulletproof Radio with Dr. Dwight Jennings. Uh, and he's found through 25 years of neurological dentistry that if he adjusts the height of someone's rear molars, he can get rid of tinnitus and sleep apnea and a bunch of other conditions, ADHD, a, a list that's probably a 50% overlap with the list we just talked about. Uh, and the mechanism of action he describes is that it reduces substance P, like the, the pain signaling molecule in the body, which allows the body to relax. People who have a jaw misalignment will routinely have sympathetic nervous system overactivation and thus excess adrenaline. So he corrects the jaw, adrenaline drops, symptoms go away. Well, I hear that, but, but I think the proximal cause mm -hmm. of the people that he's dealing with have excess adrenaline to begin with and cause the misalignment because it caused, TMJ is one of the problems for right. excess adrenaline and, um, and teeth oh. grinding. So if you fix adrenaline, people's TMJ just goes away. That that's yes. That's oh, that's cool. Okay, that would that would point towards adrenaline being a core cause. All right, now we're now we're getting somewhere. This is fascinating. Okay, there's a drug called a beta blocker, and I've recommended right. that to a few friends who, uh, you know, are unable to speak in public with any other thing. They they just freak out. So I'm like, hey, you should go talk to your doctor and see if you can get a prescription for this stuff and see if it's medically safe and all that. Uh, and then they do it, and they, it suppresses their excess adrenaline. They're fine. Should everyone with this list of symptoms just take a little bit of adrenal blunting medication and be done with it? Well, again, you know, here we, we're dealing with band-aids again. <laughs> uh, well, it, you know, beta blockers block adrenaline. There's no question. But they also have their, their own little um, list of side effects, and, you know, including impotence is one, one of the side effects. And, and they're antithyroid drugs. So, but wouldn't it be better just to lower adrenaline to begin with? Um, of course, I'm just saying that, uh, I, I may be wrong, but I, now you, you have 40 years of experience, uh, oh. experimenting with this and seeing what happens clinically. That, that's why you're on the show. That's why I'm listening to you. Uh, the, the wisdom of, uh, of my elders is, uh, is something I'm a huge fan of. Uh, yeah. so, uh, all right. So beta blockers aren't the answer. What about, say, taking adrenal extracts. You can get glandular extracts. I've used those uh, quite, quite extensively where you have the raw ingredients to, to at least make adrenaline. Um, are those a good idea or are those not a good idea? I wouldn't recommend them. Okay. Um, well, it's just that, you, you know, you're familiar with the term adrenal fatigue mm -hmm. and it's a condition that actually doesn't exist. Uh, it's a naturopath diagnosis. And, and the thing about naturopaths, primarily they do what are called saliva tests. Yep. 
And the problem with saliva tests is that when people have excess adrenaline, it, remember adrenaline is a survival hormone, yep. and it's cutting off blood supply to certain areas of the body not needed for survival, which includes the salivary glands. And because it cuts off blood supply to the salivary glands, hormones don't get into the saliva. So when they do a saliva test and get a low cortisol, they diagnose adrenal fatigue. If they did a blood test, they would actually find that the cortisol levels are high. And, and, and part of the problem is, is that they approach adrenal fatigue. They, what they try to do is actually raise cortisol levels and even give cortep, which is cortisone, as part of the treatment when they already have high cortisol levels. So, um, so everybody knows about adrenal fatigue. Nobody knows about adrenaline dominance. You know, you mentioned that you had chronic fatigue and, and if we can go back to fibromyalgia for yeah. a little bit, you know, um, the, uh, the thing about adrenaline, it, it, remember it's a fight or flight hormone. So people have a tendency to keep their muscle tense. Mm -hmm. And when keep, people keep muscle tense, they build up what's called lactic acid, uh, in the muscles. And that's what causes the, actually the pain of fibromyalgia. It gets, uh, into the, into the muscles and, and the tendons and, um, and at the same time, because people keep their muscle tense all the time, they use up a tremendous amount of energy. And that's why they have fatigue, which is the other classic symptom of fibromyalgia. But just by lowering adrenal levels, you know, the muscles relax. Now circulation can go through the muscles and clear out the acid. So it takes somewhere between three days and three weeks to actually eliminate fibromyalgia, uh, even though it's people are told that that there's no cure for it. So in, in the three days to three weeks, which is a very fast amount of time uh, to eliminate uh, something like fibromyalgia, what are you doing to lower the excess adrenaline? How do you do well, that? Well, remember, okay, that there are two, two things that need to be done. Number one, you have to provide fuel to the brain so that adrenaline doesn't have to be released to provide fuel. Okay, so, so stabilize blood sugar. Or, or fuel because, you know, because MCT <laughs> the MCT. Also, <laughs> there's, right? a, there's a reason that I put brain octane in every meal. I carry little packets of it when I travel and I feel awesome all the time when I do that. And if I skip more than a day of it, uh, my brain isn't as sharp. And you're saying that's because it's providing an alternate fuel to glucose. It's probably more important than glucose I, for the brain. I would agree with you for the brain, um, at least for short-term neuron focus, right? But if the... The other side of fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue is there's autoimmunity uh, and the glial cells, the immune parts of the brain that do cleanup, they want glucose and they don't burn ketones well. So if you're only eating ketones all the time, aren't you going to eventually sort of not take care of the immune system of the brain? Well, I, I don't recommend just ketones. I recommend glucose also. Okay, got you it. Know. So so you, you have some carbs and you have some ketones and you do that with MCT oils. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. All right. Hey, that's that's what I do. It seems to work. Again, let's go back to ADHD. Yeah. Uh, you know, in in my book, uh, I, I I talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly in terms of conditions related to excess adrenaline. The only condition that I put in the good category is ADHD. The most intelligent, successful, creative people in the world have ADHD. In what, fact, what were you saying? Oh. What? Sorry. What were you saying? Sorry, I got distracted. I'm kidding. That oh, was I'm sorry. That was my ADHD well, joke. Exactly. <laughs> Keep going. The, the, most, the most intelligent, successful, great, creative people in the world have ADHD. So, it, so it's not a bad thing. And, and it's not a learning disorder, even though that's, it, it's branded as a learning disorder. It's an interest disorder. People, <laughs> people with ADHD will focus if they're interested. If they're not interested, they will not focus. 
um, because their mind goes so quickly. So if they're not interested, they get distracted very easily. That is true. Now, and keep in mind that creative people have the most adrenaline. And, and the, most, the most successful people in the world have two, two different types of ADHD. You know, the typical type we hear about, like kids that are hyperactive. And then the creative type, which they call ADD. You know, these are the kids that have trouble focusing, but they're not hyperactive. That, that would have but, been me. <laughs> yes. Well, well and, and probably the heads of just almost every corporation in the world have two different types, what I call the mixed type ADHD. And probably not one of them or very few of them ever finish college. Um, the, these are extremely intelligent people that want to do things. They don't have time for college. Um, you know, Bill Gates, classic. Uh, um, Steve Jobs never finished college. And yet they did pretty well. Yep. So you're saying they had a mix of creative type and typical type. Right. So they had uh -huh. the, the extra energy that comes from being hyperactive and they had the creative type. So they were hyperactive only towards what they were interested in. Exactly. Ah, well, that sounds like a recipe for success to me. At least that's, that's what well, I do. I, I don't, I don't follow sports cause I just don't have time and cause it doesn't being that interest, but you give me right. a study on PubMed and I just can't put it down, um, maybe sometimes to my detriment. And so, all right, you follow that recipe. Um, yeah. What percentage of the population has these different kinds of ADHD now? Like, would you guess? I know you may not be able to cite studies. I would say almost the majority of people. Um, wow. So more than half of people have at least some of this ADHD going on. I would think so. I, I think so too. You know, it just has a, it has a bad rap, you, you know, uh, it, because they really don't understand what it is. Um, the, um, you know, for example, you, you know, they, they teach children algebra and, and people with ADHD have a real hard time with algebra because they're not interested in it. <laughs> Got story of my life. <laughs> and, and the problem is, is that when they leave high school, there's no need for algebra anymore. So what they really should do is make it an elective rather than, you know, a mandatory requirement. I, I'm just saying, but they don't understand what ADHD is. That is not a learning disorder interest disorder i very much love uh that perspective on adhd it it's uh it, it's a beautiful thing and that brings the thought though if you were to say all right it is a gift or at least it has its upside what about those we'll call them 49 percent of people who don't have excess adrenaline should they be you know maybe getting a little bit of an epipen <laughs> so they can have more adrenaline so they could have a brain that's more interested in stuff that matters Interesting point. I, you know, it's funny. The, the majority, in fact, just about every patient I've ever seen has had excess adrenaline. So it, so people, it, so it could be um, that there are people out there that don't have a lot of adrenaline. I don't see them. Uh, <laughs> it's because they're all asleep. <laughs> well, they're they're probably very well adjusted, and you know, bipolar disorders are all about adrenaline. Autism. You know, children with autism have incredibly high levels of adrenaline. And, and they respond wonderfully to lowering adrenaline levels. Um, now, I, I was, my, one side of my family is mostly on, on the spectrum of either ADHD or Asperger's and things like that. And I, I probably would have met the, um, the clinical diagnosis of Asperger's uh, as a kid. You know, OCD, ODD, uh, ADD, all, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> all adrenaline. Uh, all adrenaline. But here's here's the question. What was causing my body to make all that excess adrenaline? I mean, I, oh, I can tell you that. I can tell you. Tell me. Yeah, it runs in families. You know, if you <laughs> it's have genetic. Okay. 
It is absolutely genetic. Um, if, if you have excess adrenaline, you inherited that from either one or both of your parents. It's just handed down, always. Um, so, so these are the people who are meant to go out and fight wars and be warriors and protect the village while, while the people without excess adrenaline were the farmers and root gatherers. And, I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but is, is that why <laughs> okay, we evolutionarily came out this way? Or am I being pejorative towards people who aren't wired the way I am? Um, well, you know, people that do uh, sign up to go into the military, they have a lot of adrenaline to begin with, you know, yeah. <clears throat> fight or flight from them. And, and remember that PTSD, uh, which is one of the problems to people get from the military, uh, is all about adrenaline. And, and again, responds wonderfully just to lowering adrenaline level. So, so your, um, your fix for this is basically MCT oil and progesterone cream? And vegetables. <laughs> okay, well, so, so, okay, how much progesterone cream? Because I mean, you can go to any, any uh, pharmacy uh, or natural product store and they make progesterone cream that's over the counter. You don't need a prescription for it. I mean, should I be like right. slathering this? How do I know if I'm getting too much? Well, you know, one of the nice things about progesterone, you can't overdose on it. But in order for it to be effective, 5%, which means 50 milligrams per pump, is the exact strength you need to block adrenaline. Most, most of the over-the-counter over progesterones are uh, 1.6 or 2%. Um, I, I happen to actually have a 5% progesterone cream uh, on, on the website. It's also on Amazon. What's, well, your, what's your website? Plat Wellness, P-L-A-T-T, platwellness.com. Okay. Um, and so it's so it's a therapeutic strength of progesterone that's available without a prescription. And people use one pump of that and it blocks well, this adrenaline. Well, one, well, and before every meal. Oh, now, the, okay. the Well, the reason for that is that as soon as people put food in their mouth, the body's putting out insulin. Yep. And and when insulin goes up, blood sugar drops. And remember, when blood sugar drops, the body puts out more adrenaline. So one of the ways of controlling adrenaline is to control insulin. And that's what's nice about progesterone is that it, you know, it controls both insulin and adrenaline. Uh, it's really a, a miracle-type hormone um, that is not really well understood by the medical community. So progesterone will keep your insulin down. And one of the biggest things... Um, so. I know that you're also interested in anti-aging. My, my new book on anti-aging, it just hit pre-order on Amazon. It's called Superhuman. But one of the big things that helps you prevent aging is stopping postprandial uh, high blood sugar. In, in other words, after you have a meal, your blood sugar spikes, and that causes some of the problems in aging. Are you proposing that putting progesterone cream on before a meal could help with that spike in blood sugar that happens after a meal? Well, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's that uh, excess sugar that speeds up the aging. I think it's the production of insulin. So ec you extra know, insulin's there, but but low insulin is actually more dangerous than high insulin, isn't it? Well, I'm not talking about low insulin. I'm talking about you know, insulin is a hormone that speeds up the aging process. Yeah. So I, I think it's the what you're talking about from an anti-aging standpoint. Well, you know, here here you go into the field of what they call telomeres. Yep. Yeah, we've, we've definitely had several episodes on telomeres. I think a lot of the audience knows, but define them for the people who maybe are new to the show. Well, it's, it's just a, a segment of, uh, on the end of certain chromosomes, or probably all chromosomes, that uh, called telomeres. And, and the shorter they are, the shorter your lifespan. But I just want to say that stress is one of the major factors that actually shorten telomeres. 
Um, and again, you know, blocking adrenaline prevents stress or eliminates stress. So, um, so from an anti-aging standpoint, I would say that progesterone is way up there in terms of anti-aging. There's definitely a, a big role for that. Uh, and I actually did a bunch of research on the postprandial problem, but also talking about the role of progesterone during hormone replacement therapy and all, apart from its effects on adrenaline. So, I mean, do people, you, you said a very big thing, and I'm not sure that I, I fully understand it uh, to the extent you do, but I feel like some of the anti-aging experts I've interviewed, if they heard you say, there's no such thing as too much progesterone, that they might uh, do a backflip. <laughs> and be like, okay, what are you talking I, I, about? <laughs> well, you you know, um, remember I've, I've been doing hormones for a long time, and uh, and what I, what I have found is basically there's only one problem when uh, in using progesterone is when people have uh, have what's called type three diabetes, uh, which is insulin resistance in the brain. Yep, and. And one of the characteristics of progesterone is that it, it increased, it, it actually causes some degree of insulin resistance, which is a good thing because it prevents people from getting sleepy and uh, people don't get sleepy when they're driving or as a passenger when they start using progesterone. I, you know, myself, I used to slap my face when I was driving, trying to keep my eyes open, but it was just a low sugar from too much insulin. Anyway, so, so the point is, is that uh, when people have what's called insulin resistance in the brain, um, and then they use progesterone right away, they get even more insulin resistance and the body has even a harder time getting sugar into the brain cells and there's an immediate release of excess adrenaline. So in that situation, uh, you know, people, that's the only downside to using progesterone, but it's also a good thing because there is no test for insulin resistance in the brain. Uh, you, you only find out about it once you develop Alzheimer's for right. insulin resistance. And Dale, Dale Bredesen would agree, wrote The End of Alzheimer's, has been on the show. So what you're saying is is now entering the mainstream, which is awesome. So so basically, the only test there is to determine if somebody has type 3 diabetes or insulin resistance to the brain is using progesterone. So if somebody uses progesterone they get, and they get you know palpitations and increasing anxiety and whatever, then, then the, the likelihood is that they either have type 3 diabetes to begin with or they just have no fuel in the brain. And uh, and the progesterone is actually hindering uh, getting sugar into the brain. So, um, you know, but that, other than that, there is no, I have not run into any downsides using progesterone. Uh, so it's a relatively, okay. you know, a relatively safe hormone when you compare it to other hormones. You mentioned uh, using it with kids. I, I mean, so children with ADHD, you'd say a, a pump on the back of the neck before bed uh, or before meals or... I mean, well, kid, kid, you know, kid, kids with ADHD, you know, they can actually tolerate progesterone four times a day to begin with. Oh, my um, goodness. Uh, but you, people should talk to their doctor first, even though stuff's available over the counter. Or you think it's so safe and... and well, unfortunately, you, you know, you, let me re <laughs> remind people, doctors don't get training in hormones. Fair point. And, and, and right away, as soon as you mention hormones in children, they'll say no. But the question is, you know, what, what, are, they, what, are, they, what are they doing to help? You know, I, you know, I don't know. If, um, you <laughs> okay, know, it's a fair point. <laughs> well, it's just like there's nothing, nothing for children with better bedwetters. Nothing. Um, they used to get vasopressin, an antidiuretic hormone, uh, until the FDA made them stop. But right now, they have nothing to treat children with bedwetting. 
But you, like I say, you can get rid of bedwetting in 24 hours just by lowering adrenaline. And you, you have to use progesterone to do that. You know, you, you weigh the downsides and weigh the upsides. And, and my, my feeling is that if the fetus can tolerate such incredibly, I mean, incredibly high levels of progesterone, why can't children tolerate it? Uh, I, I hear you. And you only have 40 years of treating patients, I'm, I'm presuming including children with this. So th- this clinical experience of safety is something that you're, uh, you're comfortable with. Well, when you compare it to other drugs on the market in terms of safety, there's no question that progesterone is a lot safer right. than most drugs on the market. And progesterone is also, you mentioned PTSD, and it's really interesting. When JJ Virgin was on the show, she talked about using progesterone after she saved her son Grant's life. He was given some like a 0.1% chance of, of living. Uh, and I also, I had a pretty substantial TBI a few years ago. And one of the things that we did right afterwards was high dose progesterone for a week after a hit to the head, which seems to be uh, an emerging uh, thing to do for traumatic brain injuries. Um, but it's interesting that there's a high correlation of TBIs and PTSD uh, to the extent that Mark Gordon, who's been on the show, would tell you that there is no such thing as post-traumatic stress disorder unless there's a brain injury, even an old one. And progesterone may be at that missing link there that says if you hit yourself in the head, progesterone maybe through its effects on adrenaline are, is doing good things for the brain. Are there other reasons people might want to look at progesterone? Just to go one little step further, uh, progesterone is actually the drug of choice for traumatic brain injuries. And, and the reason for that, it, re- it immediately reduces swelling in the brain. Just about 90% of progesterone actually winds up in the brain. Um, so, um, so you're absolutely correct. It, it is wonderful for, post-traumatic, you know, for um, traumatic brain injuries. Um, but, you know, women that have been raped, you know, can sometimes wind up with PTSD and with, without having a head injury. So I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know if there has to be a head injury to uh, correlate with PTSD. I don't know. Uh, logically, I don't think so. But. Uh, yeah, I, I found that to be hard to, hard to uh, believe as well. Um, he had some pretty interesting uh, and convincing uh, data about that. So I'm not saying that's the case or not, but just that there's a definite high correlation of brain injuries. So when you fell hit your head as a kid, something isn't quite working the way it ought to be. And then if you have a metabolic disorder, to your point, where you don't right. use uh, glucose or you don't have enough ketones in your brain, and then something bad happens and it, your pattern matching system gets screwed up, who knows? Uh, but progesterone, it's interesting that it comes up throughout all of that thread. And you know, you're the, the guy who's looking at adrenaline and progesterone. What happens though, I, I, I've experimented uh, many years ago with beta blockers because you know, they're, some people put them in the category of nootropics in, in that your brain can work better if you're not dealing with too much adrenaline, especially in those public speaking things. Uh, fortunately, I don't have that problem, but I wanted to experience them. Um, I felt like crap. Uh, on uh, even just a, a low dose for one day of beta blockers. It was like walking through mud all the time. And when I, <laughs> okay. when I talked with doctors who prescribed these, they said the same thing. If you give these to someone who's doing public speaking, they might calm down enough to speak, but if they get a hard question from the audience, they'll be flat-footed and unable to, uh, to, to, like, to bring that energy that a good speaker has on stage. Uh, so if we take progesterone to blunt our adrenaline, are we gonna lose our adrenaline superpowers? No, absolutely not. Yeah. It, it'll actually enhance uh, focusing and, and whatever. They can actually more, you know, concentrate more on what, what they're, they're dealing with. Um, 
you know, children with autism, you know, they're extremely intelligent, you know, and that, you know, because of all the adrenaline and, you know, they can memorize a phone book, uh, these kids, uh, but they have so much adrenaline that, you know, any kind of stimuli is too much for them. That's why they sort of avoid a lot of things. But once you, once you give them MCT oil and vegetables and, and use progesterone cream, all of a sudden, you know, those kids that don't talk will start talking. Um, I, I, I want to address creative type people, <laughs> you know, because remember creative people had the most adrenaline and, um, you know, creative people are, are very intuitive about other people and, and they have premonitions and deja vu type feelings. And they, when the phone rings, they'll either know who it is before they answer, or they'll say, I was just thinking about you. Um, and people that are creative, uh, animals and small children are very attracted to creative type people. And, and this is all because, you know, adrenaline as a neurotransmitter, um, not only creates creativity in the brain, but allows people to tap into the energy that goes through the air. And they have the same ability as psychics, clairvoyants, dog whispers, horse whispers. They have the same ability, creative type people. But going one step further, if you look at the music industry, mm. the amount of drugs and alcohol in the music industry, and even in Hollywood. And again, we're talking about creative people having the most adrenaline. And nobody ever talks about this. The, you know, Michael Jackson, you know, was on, on you know, propofol to sleep and, and benzodiazepams and, you know, Elvis Presley. I mean, you know, all these all these music people that that have uh, died of overdoses. So when people with addictions go into rehab or detox, whatever, you know, they get them off the drugs. But as soon as they're released, they go right back on the drugs or alcohol because they're not dealing with the reason why they get addicted in the first place. And so, you know, my feeling is that creative type people definitely should be aware of adrenaline. I recently interviewed uh, Rick Rubin, a very famous music producer. And uh, to my knowledge, uh, the drug and alcohol is, uh, addiction is not something that, that has been a part of Rick's life. Uh, and I, I know him reasonably well, and like he's never mentioned anything like that. Uh, but as we all know, they're common in the field. And Rick talked about being something called a highly sensitive person. Uh, when I was asking about how we identified music that had the the thing in it, uh, and then he looked at me and said, "Dave, you're a highly sensitive person, you know, on a in a different domain than than me. But like, I I know other people like me. Is being high adrenaline the same as being a highly perceptive, highly sensitive person, or is it a different thing?" There are some people with excess adrenaline that are super sensitive to everything. You know, they okay. that eat. EMF things, or you, you know, this, um, um, you know, they, they can't use cell phones and all this. Kind yeah, of EMF stuff. sensitivity, right? Yeah, and and, I'm, and you know, and people have chemical sensitivities. I'm I'm pretty sure it's all related to excess adrenaline, because they, these are usually very creative people that have all these kind of problems. It definitely seems to to coincide with creativity. I mean, my my experience of chemical sensitivity in particular is that there's almost always an environmental toxic mold approach, which causes excess adrenaline hormonal dysfunction, uh, which then uh, has all these other downstream effects, including like large increases in inflammatory cytokines. Um, does excess adrenaline increase inflammatory compounds in the body? Does it decrease them? Like, what does it do? Well, you know, I'm going to have to pass on that. I'm okay. not sure, but 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 it could be that when people have excess adrenaline to begin with, they're just more super sensitive to all okay. the toxic molds and and things in the environment. 
entertainment. Okay, and the incidence of that is about one third of the population, and they have a variance in their HLA-DR subtype. Have you found any genetic markers that say, hey, these are the genes that get passed down from family to family that make for these you know, creative families full of maybe autoimmunity and high amounts of creativity and ADHD? Well, if, if, if somebody is creative, then one or both of their parents had to have been creative. So, so there's a creative gene? There has to be. But you don't know which one it is, do you? No, I, it, I'm not allowed to tell. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I would like to know. It'd be interesting yeah. so you could test someone for creativity and uh, use CRISPR to insert or subtract the gene uh, if they wanted it. You know, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a scientist. I, I'm more of an observer. Yeah, you're you a know. clinician. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you've, you've got this, in your book, you have just this an amazing list of, of these things that affect more than half the population, at least you know, one or two of these things, you know, things like road rage. I, I had a major issue with this in my twenties. Like I was, I was a total jerk when I was young. Um, and, uh, certainly it, we talk about excess adrenaline. I, I could see that being a part of this, but there's a flip side. Uh, when Nick Foles was on the show, this is a Super Bowl MVP. Uh, we talked about his wife, Tori's uh, condition called POTS, um, which is right. essentially a low blood pressure disorder where you stand up, you get low blood pressure, there's not enough blood flow in your brain, you feel like crap, you, you can't pay attention. The body will compensate for POTS by increasing adrenaline in order right. to get your blood sugar up so you don't pass out. What's the role of progesterone and adrenaline in this surprisingly common condition? Well, again, um, because adrenaline is involved, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I think the actually the, the cause of POTS is actually due to increased adrenaline to begin with. Oh, so you think too much adrenaline causes POTS, but lowering adrenaline makes the symptoms worse. Well, they have a, you know, what do they call it? Um, positional hypotension. Yep. But, um, but all the symptoms of POTS are related to excess adrenaline. So my feeling is that... It, to treat the symptoms, um, I, I, you know, I've never had a patient with POTS, so it, okay. it's hard for me to, um, the, but, you know, when it comes to road rage, you know, it, you know, sometimes people wind up going to anger management class, which does absolutely nothing. I, I think that's actually kind of funny. Um, understanding that emotions happen before thoughts. <laughs> I, I always find it kind of funny, like, oh, I'm going to think my way out of an emotion. That was how I, I, I tried to live my life for a long time. And, uh, I have a different mindset on that now, but yeah, re reducing the source of the rage is probably going to be more effective than learning how to think harder about the rage. Um, that's been and my experience. Remember, it only takes 24 hours to get rid of road rage. That's all it takes. And you're saying progesterone will solve that problem. And, and eating correctly. Uh, okay. You know. Granted. All right. And, and maybe that that's a core part of this. It's a real important part. It, it's a huge thing. And, and the, the template, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is where I ended up after many years, this is the, the, the genesis of the Bulletproof Diet book, but it's a plate covered in vegetables that don't have a lot of toxins in them, covered in the right kinds of fat that, that are not damaged fats and seed oils and stuff like that, and a moderate amount of high quality protein. Uh, and that if you do that on a regular basis, you'll probably over time remove a lot of the, the things that are triggers for excess adrenaline and many of these other conditions. Am I missing I anything in that basic recipe? No, you're not. Okay. Not at all. Um, scra scrambled eggs cooked in MCT oil uh, put on a bed of spinach is like a perfect breakfast. 
All right. You, um, that sounds good. Okay. Good deal. We, we agree on that one and lots of veggies. And remember, so yeah. the keto diet of bacon, pork rinds and diet soda does not work long-term. You lose half your weight, you'll keep the other half in inflammation and you'll probably need some extra adrenaline along the way. Okay. Now, Fenfen, you write about this in your book. This is that yes, pharmaceutical combination uh, right. that they shut down. What's your take on Fenfen? It's very different. The, um, you know, first of all, um, you know, just to remind people, uh, Fenfen was used as, as a weight loss type uh, combination of medications. And uh, it was extremely popular at one time. Uh, there's almost a fen-fen clinic on every corner. The problem is, uh, you know, is a combination of fentamine and fenfluramine, uh, which are two blood, uh, two drugs that were actually used to suppress the appetite. And the, uh, but doctors, um, you know, they only know what drug companies tell them. And, and, and these were two generic drugs that were not promoted by any drug companies. So they went to the PDR to look up the dose. And so when they prescribed it, they gave the dose for the individual pills rather than the combination. And so people right away were overdosed on Fenfen. And, um, and the, the problem is, is that, you know, there are two appetite suppressant drugs. So people took the pills and stopped eating and they wouldn't lose weight because if you're not eating, your metabolism stops. So they would go back to the doctor, say, I'm not losing anything. So the doctor would keep on prescribing higher and higher dosages. Uh, they did uh, one study uh, that was paid for by a drug company uh, who wanted Fenfen off the market. And, um, the, um, and they rounded up 24 women from around the country that were on, on 18 times the normal dose of Fenfen. Whoa. And this was, the, this was the only study ever, ever that showed heart valve damage. Uh, but based on that study, the FDA took it off the market. Um, because the FDA would never take a drug off the market based on its study with people on 18 times a normal dose. But the FDA is just responsive to what drug companies want. Now, the thing about Fenfen, it took away cravings. It took away cravings for food. That, that's why people would take it and they would actually be able to eat what you know anything yeah. healthy. Removing cravings is massive. But it took away cravings not only for food. It took away cravings for alcohol, cocaine, cigarettes, heroin. It didn't matter what somebody had a craving for. Within 24 hours, it was gone. Uh, in other words, there was nothing, nothing ever more effective for people getting off cigarettes or alcohol, heroin, anything. Um, so not, not only that, the combination of the two pills were better than any blood pressure pills on the market. And it took away asthma, took away migraine headaches. You know, this is why the drug companies wanted it off the market. It was good for just about every illness there was, in addition to helping people lose weight. But in order to lose weight, they had to, you, you know, use the correct dose, which was part of a, a study done by Weintraub, who's the one that, that invented Fenfen, if you will. Uh, but no, not doctors never read the study, <laughs> you know, so they didn't know what the dose was. So, but, but it was the only thing ever, ever, that people with morbid obesity where they could actually lose weight without any problems. And so my feeling is they should at least reintroduce it just for the morbidly obese, because they have nothing. I uh, I just fundamentally believe that it, it's my right to decide what I put in my body, and no regulatory agency uh, has the moral authority to tell me I'm not allowed to use something. I appreciate okay. the warnings, but to, to ban a substance like that because you know a, uh, some sort of a, a nanny that I did not appoint <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. be believes that they can tell me I don't have access. So if I was morbidly obese, I'd be like, 
that's it. I'm making Fen Fen in my bathtub, uh, if uh, okay. if there is such a thing. And you can replicate Fen Fen. I mean, the P H E N in the second part of this is like phenylalanine. Like, so there's amino acids that get you some of the way there if people are deficient in aminos. Do you have a stack of amino acids that help with excess adrenaline? Uh, no, okay. <laughs> but I want to thank you for asking. In fact, this goes back, geez, I got 17 or so years in memory. Um, there were definitely people, someone who's listening to the show right now will probably Google this and find it, but there were people who were, or were replicating the vast majority of the effects of FenFen for weight loss using just amino acid stacks. So uh, I would suggest uh, that that's worthy of, of things. I'll see if I can find a reference to this, but man, this goes way back in my memory of biohacking. We're coming up on the end of the show, and, and I've been sort of fishing around. Like, what are the downsides to just you know slathering progesterone on? Uh, and so far, uh, there aren't any in your clinical experience. But what I haven't asked you, where do I put it? I know with, with testosterone, I'd put it, you know, like number one is perineum slash scrotum, um, if you don't mind a little bit of greasiness there. Number two would be armpits. If you have a lot of hair there, that's a problem. And number three would be abdomen. That's for a testosterone. Does that same location set work well for progesterone, or does it need a different type of tissue to absorb? Uh, well, um, actually, uh, with progesterone, you want it in the bloodstream. Okay. And uh, so you don't want to put it over fatty tissue. Interesting. So over muscles or the back of the neck there then. Well, the back of the neck is an excellent place for people that have a lot of tension in the back of the neck. Okay. Um, that's one of, one of the two places to put it. Uh, the primary place is on the forearm, and you rub the two forearms together. Um, okay. Because the skin is thin, there's a great blood supply there. Uh, you can actually put it on the upper chest because, you know, there are a lot of blood vessels that some people, uh, when they blush, <laughs> they, you know, the upper chest, the back of the neck, the face. But, but basically the, the, the forearm and the back of the neck, if there's tension in the back of the neck. People that have cramps in their legs at night, um, uh, in, the, in their calves or their, or their uh, uh, feet, uh, they can just massage some progesterone cream in. It'll go away in about 40 seconds. Uh, people with restless leg syndrome. Um, you know, who have a discomfort in their thighs, they just have to rub some progesterone into their thighs, it'll, and that'll go away in about 30 or 40 seconds. So, so the, this is powerful timing. Like, the, those times sound incredible. Okay. The, um, now, testosterone, by the way, it should not be put, as you know, around hairy, uh, around hair follicles, because uh, there's a certain enzyme, uh, alpha reductase, around the enzyme, around the hair follicles. So the upper upper inner arm, is probably a better place than the axilla because mm. there's less hair there or, as you mentioned, in the perineal area. Because uh, the, the hair there doesn't have that those um, enzymes, by the way. Um, one thing you talk about here is something uh, my wife, uh, Dr. Lana, does you know, fertility coaching. Our first book was was the Better Baby book about you know what to do before and during pregnancy, and, and we did talk about progesterone in there. Um, but she does do testing, and you highlight in your book um, that progesterone can help women to conceive and or prevent a miscarriage. Right. Um, does that mean that some conception problems and miscarriage problems are a result of excess adrenaline in the mother? No, that, you know, I, I, no, that, that's, uh, that, that's completely separate. Okay. Compl but that's what I was guessing, but okay. Yeah. The number one reason why women have trouble getting pregnant is low progesterone. And the number one reason for miscarriage is low progesterone. However, uh, they're, you know, women very often get nauseated 
the first three months. The morning they call that morning sickness. Mm-hmm. But there are some women where the morning sickness persists throughout the entire pregnancy, and that's caused by adrenaline, um, and that responds also very wonderfully just to lowering adrenaline levels, and um, you know they call that hyperemesis gravidarum when women vomit throughout the entire pregnancy. Uh, there's a thing called cyclical vomiting syndrome in children where they start vomiting, they can't stop, have to be hospitalized. Again, that's caused by adrenaline. Um, and there's another condition called PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, uh, found in 5 to 8% of women. And uh, these are women that nobody can live with for 10 days out of the month. They have severe anger issues, severe mood swings, also caused by excess adrenaline. Um, but there are so many articles that keep on saying there's no cure for it. They uh, put them on antidepressants, which do nothing. I, I'm just saying, you know, it just, um, adrenaline is just <laughs> not even an afterthought. It's just not thought about at all. So. Now, uh, something, ha- something happens to uh, a lot of the doctors who are um, the most innovative and, and the ones discovering new things like this. Um, they oftentimes get listed on uh, websites of ill repute, uh, like Quackwatch. Um, right, that's me. <laughs> and well, I mean, one of my career goals was to be listed on Quackwatch because I'm not a doctor. And I'm like, oh, I don't qualify because uh, every doctor I respect has been like the people who've changed the world. They all get targeted by uh, the guy who runs that thing. And so, one of my my most happy career achievements was when the USA Today wrote a piece about the. the the bulletproof diet, and they called. They had the Quack Watch guy uh, as though Dave doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, and I'm like, yes, I finally got my Quack Watch uh, uh, certification. Um, <laughs> Congratulations! Uh, thank you. Uh, and I, I literally mean this. Like, like the world changing people do that. And so, what you're talking about here, using progesterone, adrenaline dominance, you know, FinFin had benefits, and it wasn't just a bad thing, and all that. It flies in the face of popular but probably wrong thoughts. And you wrote about this in your book on uh, on adrenal dominance, right. uh, and you actually this is very unusual, but I think noteworthy. You voluntarily surrendered your medical license in 2011, which allows you to just go out and say things that are true because they can't hold it as a club over your head anymore. Um, what drove that? Uh, what drove that decision for you? The uh, well, what happened was uh, doctors in my town uh, put putting complaints to the medical board. And the reason for that is that when their patient came to see me, I took them off all their drugs because when you treat the underlying cause of illness, you don't, they don't need drugs. So they put in complaints to the medical board, but the medical board could not act on complaints from doctors. They needed patient complaints, and they didn't have any patient complaints. <laughs> so they sent in undercover patients to initiate complaints because uh, they needed three complaints. So, uh, so they went after me probably more aggressively than any other doctor ever in California, even though no, they never had a complaint, they've never harmed a patient. And so for five years, they did everything, you know, they arrested me twice. They, they did everything they could to discourage me. I spent half a million dollars trying to fight these people. I finally gave up. And what they wanted me to do was to stop taking people off drugs because medical boards are 100% funded by drug companies. Shocking. And and here I am taking people off drugs. So, but I refuse to stop taking people off drugs. And anyway, so the upshot, I, I just surrendered my license just, just to try to get them out of my life. Um, I, you know, I've never stopped my approach. Yeah. So after about 40 years of clinical practice, like I don't really need this license to help a lot of people. I'm going to just talk about what works. And uh, it, it's a common pattern. Uh, people who come up with a new cause, they usually get, uh, 
essentially demonized. Uh, we used to just burn them at the stake uh, like a Galileo. And then usually a generation later, um, then everyone's like, oh yeah, it's obvious. <laughs> I mean, like it wasn't obvious when I put that out there, now was it? Uh, and so what's happening now though, which is the whole point of this, is that it doesn't take a generation anymore. It takes about five years, thank you, social media, and people talking about what works. Uh, so it's becoming very difficult to suppress the reality of how the body works, even if it isn't good for certain business models. Um, you know, Semmelweis Sam, and Lister, you know, have gotten in a lot of trouble um, in the turn of the century because they were telling doctors to wash their hands before surgery. And they were destroyed by the medical system. You know, one of them committed suicide. The, the doctors that in the early 80s that said that H. pylori caused ulcers, I mean, they were, uh, you know... <laughs> <laughs> but in but actually, you know, in the in the 1990s, they got the Nobel Prize for medicine. So it's it's one of those things. I I just want to say thanks for sticking to your guns and saying, hey, I found something that works, and I'm going to talk about it, and I'm not going to stop talking about it because I have the data and I have the clinical experience and you know, doing what helps people. Uh, same thing, you know, eating some saturated fat might actually work for you. It it's you know hey, it, it's not a popular thing amongst certain certain populations, but. When, you, uh, when you're willing to talk about it and people try it and they see that it works and they get the data, it's very hard to keep a, a truthful idea down in today's environment, and it was much easier 25 years ago. Now, I have another question for you, the, the final question on the show these days. I mentioned earlier Superhuman, my new anti-aging book. I've been very public in men's health about, hey, I'm going to live to at least 180. I think we can do it with given what we know today. And my question for you is, um, I mean, you're, you're further along, you've got more mileage, uh, than I do. Um, you're further along. <laughs> how, how long do you think humans will live and how long do you think you can live with the knowledge that you've got? What's achievable? I'm just happy every day that I wake up and I'm still breathing. <laughs> you know? Um, uh, I don't know what's achievable. I, um, you know, I, I, I say, if you stay away from doctors, you'll live forever. Um, uh, but that's probably not the that's probably not the only answer. <laughs> there are some really good doctors out there, uh, many of whom are friends, uh, one of whom I'm married to, uh, who will team who will form a team with you to help you get the the results you want. Which is you want your body to to behave and do what you want it to do. Uh, you you don't necessarily want a prescription for a bunch of drugs. So um, I I I would temper that with stay away from the doctors who spend three minutes with you um, unless of course you have a broken arm and you just need to get that fixed the um, my first book was called the miracle of bioidentical hormones and the experts for the medical board felt that the ideas in that book were so dangerous I shouldn't be practicing medicine <laughs> and all the all the book talked about was treating the underlying cause of illness and getting people off medication I, um, I gotta tell you bioidentical hormones absolutely changed my life in my mid-20s I had less testosterone than my mom I had almost no thyroid hormone like I was broken and getting those back in line completely gave me back enough energy to solve the rest of the things and then to go beyond just solving problems into I didn't know I could do this land uh, which is where the biohacking movement came from so it, at this point to say bioidentical hormones are dangerous or whatever there's just no evidence to that. And the people who say that are looking back at <laughs> at horse urine, uh, which is where they were getting the first hormones that weren't bioidentical. And so it's it's like the basic level of research will inform anyone that you were right in your book a long time ago and uh, 
that's a genie that won't go back in the bottle. I don't think they can put that one back. Well, <laughs> well, Dr. Platt, thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, your work over the last uh, four decades and for continuing to talk about uh, adrenaline and progesterone and how it all works. Uh, your book is fascinating. And I do know people uh, you know, personally who have said, you know, I'm going to try some progesterone and they felt massive improvements in their life. Uh, I have uh, I have yet to try progesterone before a meal, but I will after this interview. I certainly have uh, borrowed my <laughs> wife's progesterone cream on occasion for inflammation, but I'll give it a shot again. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. Uh, again, okay. uh, the name of your book is called, uh, or sorry, the name of your book. Yeah, Adrenaline Dominance. Adrenaline Dominance, a revolutionary approach to wellness. And that's available on Amazon and places like that. Uh, thank you so much for your work been a pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. If you like today's show, uh, you know what to do. I'm going to suggest that you follow me on Instagram because I put a lot of cool stuff about this up on Instagram, especially in my stories. Uh, and I'm doing a lot of work uh, sharing things there. And if you haven't had a chance to pick up your copy of Superhuman, or at least to pre-order your copy of that, I go into a lot of details here on what you can do to live a lot longer and definitely pick up a copy of Adrenaline Dominance. And as always, if you read a book, take the 10 seconds to show the common courtesy of instead of tipping your author, just leave a review so people know the book was worth their time. Have a beautiful day. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.